Welcome to Book Buddies, a reading club for people. Thanks for joining us as we discuss Please Kill Me, the uncensored oral history of punk by Legs McNeil and Jillian McCain. This week, part two, The Lipstick Killers. And now your hosts, Josh Tyson and Mark Brush. On your back, just like that, we're taking Supta Bhattakanasana, which is supine butterfly pose. Yep, you can uh, you can rest your hands on the insides of your knees, kind of push them towards the floor. Yeah, keep that sacrum flat on the floor. Don't let that butt lift up. Now I want you to breathe in through your nose. Start with your belly, then fill your upper chest. And when you reach the very top, hold it. Now gulp just a little more air up into the collarbones. Exhale through your mouth. All right, now I want you to do a little butterfly crunch, okay? When you exhale, you need to pull up. Get your get your hands behind your head. Bring your elbows in. Yep, just like that. Knees together. Up. Hollow out your belly. There you go. All right. Now breathe out. Let's do that one more time. Yep, knees together. Your form is looking so much better. Gotta tell you. Oh, let me get the door. I think everyone's here. Hey, everyone. Yeah, grab a seat. Grab some zen. Let's dig in. Mark, the Williams man, why don't you uh, give us a little context? What are we doing here, friends? Welcome to the book club, everyone. Yeah, have a seat. I'm going to sit. There's room. Squeeze together on the couch. Um, I'm just going to give you a little context up front. Thanks for joining us for week two of this book club. If you haven't heard week one as a listener to the podcast, please go back and have a listen. Mm-hmm. It says, please kill me, number one. Yeah, this is please kill me, number two. Number two. And for this segment, in this wonderful narrative of the uncensored oral history of punk rock, just want to give you a little moment, a little context around two things. The New York Dolls. Yeah. Glitter. Glam rock. Glitter. Before there was glam rock. And Jim Carroll, a, figu- a shadowy figure I wasn't as familiar with. New York Dolls, American hard rock band formed in New York City in 1971. Although, although their original lineup fell apart quickly, the band's first two albums... Well, who's in that lineup? We got David Johansson. You sure do, Buster Poindexter. Yep, and then you got some drummer who yep. died of a tragic OD that's... Yep. Uh, Mersh Mercia? Somebody, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's... Uh, is he, he got Brazilian? Drowned in a bathtub by a bunch of bunch of Brits. Bunch of like the British equivalent of Williams men. Oh Jesus. Bunch of bunch of uh First two albums, New York Dolls, nineteen seventy three, and Too Much Too Soon, seventy four, became among the most popular <clears throat> cult oh. records in rock. On stage, those New York dolls donned an androgynous wardrobe wearing high heels, eccentric hats, and satin. Yeah, and there's a great uh, one of their mothers. There's a there's a passage that talks about one of their mothers who traveled to Europe. How's your mother? How's your mother? Who traveled to Europe, and she uh, they draw outlines of their feet, and she would pick them up a bunch of boots. Those big old what are those boots called? Those big uh, like platform boots. I platform don't know. UK boots. Like some sexy boots. Why don't we uh, let's <laughs> listen? Remember that U two song, "Sexy Boots." 
That, are Put you serious? Boots. Oh, fuck yeah. you too. <laughs> Sexy boots. Here's some New York dolls. Just imagine those great songs. She men up there. Interestingly enough, virile young men. Horn dudes. Horn dogs. Couldn't get enough of the ladies. Nope, they were just really good at marketing themselves. Well, I I don't want to jump ahead, but I think I noted. Well, there are two things I remember just off the top of my head. One was the whole glitter. When glitter hit the scene. Well, it, it was it's like, fascinating because they're talking about the theater of the ridiculous. So it, it all has its roots in avant-garde New York theater. Listen to this. Why do you keep saying theater? Theater. <laughs> Where is it? Here we go. Uh, Here's the best part of the book club as we flip through for quotes. Here we go. People That's have been wearing stomach. glitter for a long time and the drag queens were wearing it on the street. There but I think go. glitter, in quotes, really took off when John Vaccaro went shopping for some costume material and he came across a little place in Chinatown that was having a big clearance sale on their glitter. He bought it all. Giant shopping bag-sized bags of glitter in all colors. John brought it back to the theater and encouraged everyone to use as much of it as they possibly could anywhere they could possibly put it. Of course, their faces were covered with glitter. Here we go. Their hair was full of glitter. Here we go. The actors who played the moon reindeer had their entire bodies covered in green glitter. And? Baby Betty, who was playing a thalidomide baby, had glitter coming out of her pussy. Sorry to pop that pussy. As a, so it was because of John Vaccaro that glitter became synonymous with outrageousness. Now that's, glitter. that's, that's your quote. Let me read you my quote. All right. Glitter was the gaudiness of America. That's what I interpreted it as. This is John Vaccaro himself. Here we go. This is how Williams man does it. And it was pretty. Glitter was makeup. I used it because it was shoving America back into the American faces. In the face, America. That's another podcast. Uh, I'm also going to tell you a little bit later. But it was no. a genre. They're talking about a genre. Rid- ridiculous theater. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, and then <clears throat> it'll come up later. Jim Carroll. Yeah. Just to set the scene. Jim Carroll comes up as, especially, uh, here, let me find the, uh, the loving words. shadowy word. figure. That's what I call it. Loving words from Patti Smith. How quickly can he find this I quote? found it. I, I was prepared for that. <clears throat> Jim Carroll. What was that? Is that my stomach? Probably. She's talking about this St. Mark's poetry scene. Oh, here. I got distracted by, above my quote, the St. Mark's poets are so namby-pamby. They're <laughs> frauds. They write about, today at 9.15, I shot speed with Bridget. They're real cute about putting it in a poem. But if Jim Carroll comes into the church stoned and throws up, that's not a poem to them. That's not cool. Yeah. Patty Smith is fucking right on, man. Uh, Jim Carroll, says Patty, is one of America's true poets. I mean, he is a true poet. He's a junkie. He's bisexual. He's been fucked by every male and female genius in America. That's quite a claim. (laughs) He's been fucked over by all those people. He lives all over. Oh, he lives all over. He lives a disgusting life. Sometimes you have to pull him out of a gutter. He's been in prison. He's a total fuck up. But what great poet wasn't? It's true. Jim Carroll. It cuts to the heart of great art, right? I mean, that's, that's a central question. Throughout human history, right? Must one suffer for great art? Mm. Kind of, yeah. That's what this book club is all about. It is. We're, We're suffering. Those questions. My back is sore. That's why I'm sitting on this Pilates ball. So Jim Carroll, yeah, he was a, a very famous poet. He uh, was immortalized. Excuse me. James Dennis Jim Carroll was born August 1st, 1949 and died September 11th, 2009. 
He was an American author, poet, autobiographer, and punk musician. Best known for his 1978 autobiographical work, The Basketball Diaries, which inspired the 1995 film of the same name starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Carol. All right. Uh, he also recorded a great song uh, called People Who Died. It's the Jim Carroll band. Sounds right. This is a fucking awesome song right here. Sounds like punk rock. Is that Jim? Jim doesn't sing. Going through the. Yeah, that song is. If you listen to the whole song, it's just a laundry list of his friends who have died and all the different ways they've died. But it sure moves. Sure shimmies. That's not him singing? No, that is him singing. What? Oh. It's the Jim Carroll band. Well, I was asking you. Then you... No, I couldn't hear you over the rock and roll, dude. I think we need to level that. Um, oh, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about this. So you got Duncan Hannah talking about her meeting with, uh, with Lou Reed. Uh, this Duncan? Up in, Isn't that a man? I think it's a lady. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, in the back, there's the... Let me see if I can find him. Her. <laughs> Duncan Hannah. Painter, actor, former president. Maybe it is a dude. There was something in here. Yeah, they, they make it sound like it's a woman in this. Oh, look, I'm going to find him. You read the whatever you're reading. I'll find out if he's a dude. So uh, he's hanging out with uh, Danny Fields oh my God, in a look booth. At these guys. Lou Reed comes over, and Lou Reed starts saying that Duncan looks like uh, like David Cassidy. And this goes on for a while. And then they start talking about Raymond Chandler. Oh, no, wait a minute. Huh? I think that's one of my favorite quotes. Is that the quote where? I think so. <laughs> and I just read all of the Ray- Raymond Chandler. So I'm thinking, hey, I know about this. And I'm, I'm sitting with my hero, Lou Reed. And we're going to have an intellectual conversation about Raymond Chandler. <sighs> all right. That's a great quote. So Lou was making uh, some uh, point. Earmuffs, kids. Earmuffs. Talking about a scene that was in the high window. And I said, oh, no, that's in The Little Sister. He goes, why? And I said, that's in The Little Sister. I just read that too. It's great. I know that piece. So Lou turns to Danny and says, hey, Danny, she speaks. Does she think? I guess she reads, huh? Maybe that's why I thought it was a girl. It's very confusing. I guess you're right then. Well, I don't know. It's a little confusing. And then uh, at one point, Danny Fields tells Lou that uh, Duncan's an art student. And so, of course, Lou makes fun of that. Um, So then Danny goes to the bathroom and Lou turns to me and says, say, are you Danny's? And I, oh no, it probably is a guy because Danny Fields, I think, likes guys. Here we go. And I said, no, 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 Danny's my friend. He okay. said, so you don't belong to Danny? And I said, no, you oh know, boy. he's my friend. Oh Lou goes, well, will you be my David Cassidy then? I yeah. said, uh, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, look, why don't you come back to my hotel with me? And I, and? And, I said, and, and he said, and you can shit in my mouth. How'd you like that? I said, I don't think I would like that. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer, Duncan. I was really ashen, and Lou started whispering like it was supposed to make me hot and said... Lou Reed is a dirtbag, man. Does that that repulse you? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'll put a a plate over my face, and you can (laughs) shit on the plate. How'd you like that? Not okay. I said, no, I don't think I'd like that either. Good for you, Duncan. Yeah. Standing up to Lou Reed. Duncan Hannah, is that who I'm looking up? Yeah. I can't find if she, it's a man or a woman. Well, it's. I think it's in in the back. It says it's a, an actor. He's. I think it's a he. Duncan Hannah. 
Lou Reed. You, you've been using this in the back, right? Yeah, I've been doing that. It's really what, handy. What? Where is Duncan? Painter, actor, former president of the television fan club. Oh, man, we're going to get to television soon. Do you know television's music? Not well. God, you're in for a treat. Whew. Star of the Amos Poe films Unmade Beds and The Foreigner. A Guggenheim fellow, Mark. Why can't I find out if this is a man or a woman? <laughs> I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, there's... Uh, Duncan Hannah. There's Wayne Country. How punk is that? Who becomes Jane Country. How punk is it that we can't even figure out after yeah. all of this shit talk whether it's a or man Jane, or a woman it's Wayne County who becomes Jane County so Duncan Hanna well, well let's not get sidetracked by that let's, um, let's get to the text have you ever met a hero Mark though I, I think you know like if you had met Dave Matthews and he turned out to be a real grouch and he wanted to sh- shit in my mouth or what if you met have, did you ever watch the end I of the tour I would say similarly to, similarly to Duncan no thank you <laughs> did you watch the end of the tour what the tour? movie about David Foster Wallace and that and the no, journalist from Rolling that. Stone. It's an amazing movie. <clears throat> I haven't seen that. And it's all about that's this kind of same notion of like meeting your hero and whether or not that's a good thing. Because a lot of times you meet your hero and they're a dick. This one time I went to see uh, the band The Offspring. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, like a resurgent punk band. You give me shit for seeing Dave Matthews band. Yeah. Before they were even famous. Well, this was before The Offspring was famous, too. Oh, thank God. It was at the Ozatlan, a crusty little club on Santa Fe. That's, I don't think it's there anymore, but uh, they put on a pretty good show. And the lead singer, I think his name is Dexter Holland. Super cheesy dude. He had like like really long hair, but it was all in these tiny braids. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I went up. Cool, man. Cool. I, I worked up the nerve to go up and be like, hey, man, awesome show or whatever. Awesome braids? No, I didn't like his braids, but I was like, that was a great show. And he was just like, kind of looked at me and was like, meh. Like, wow, you're a fucking dick. I don't know if we've ever done that. Have I ever had a hero? I don't know. I wouldn't say mouth? that he was my hero or anything, but it was, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, that was cool. I want to go say hi. Cause I really enjoyed that show. I just oh man. I just got I got uh choked up here. Oh. Not in a sentimental way, just in a I should stop talking because we, you know, we we took down the website. Uh, Natch.is. Oh, did that happen? I haven't checked. Yeah. Good. Oh, good job. And I put up like, hey, it's going away. We're making podcasts, not websites. Find us here, here, here. My dad emailed me. Said, Uh-oh. oh, how am I going to keep listening? I'm like, oh, now I just, we've this, I, I don't. What? What's that have to do with I'm this? thrown now. Because you just thought of that? It's like I've just had a conversation with my dad about Lou Reed saying that crap to Duncan Hannah. What? Well, I don't see the connection between... Like, like you, what did your dad, dad ask you to shit on a plate? No. What's the point then? You know that he's listening. It's not a conversation. Or at least he was until that dad. happened. Yeah. What? what? You don't want to talk to your dad about plate shitting? I do not. About bukkake? Here we go. To the text. To the text. To the it bat was, cave. <clears throat> Lipstick killers, 71 to 74. It was a really wild scene because they weren't hippies. They were a criminal, homosexual, drug-taking, spiritual-seeking, artistic crowd of men. Real con artists, flim-flam men, second-story men. At this time, at the time, the drug world and the art world ran through each other. Mm. Well, taking it, I mean, that's, that's what's so exciting about this chapter, though, is that all this stuff has its roots in most of it in theater and taking things that were happening in this experimental well, theater scene. That's exactly right. And because, bringing it over into music. Oh, well, well, I don't need to read this quote about Lou Reed and Duncan Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> we already got to that. Yeah, because, uh, 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 I, I did a, I did a better job. It's not gonna take me that long to find these quotes. All right. 
You remember that part where Patty Smith's talking about working in that factory? I know about Patty Smith working. If you want to read a real history book? Read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. That Wait, book will fucking yeah. knock you on your ass. Better than Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. Okay. You think that's a good book. Fucking people baffle me. I mean, all right, we can. Good point. Both those are good suggestions. Maybe great for a future future book club. I mean, this is a history book too, though. It's a great point. Um, Thank you for that, Matt. So, so there was nothing else I wanted. You get obsessed with certain tastes. Ah! My mouth was really dying for this hot sausage sandwich. What you? So I was real depressed. She's trying to get this hot well, sausage to... sandwich off the lunch cart at yeah, this factory where she's working. But these, uh, these other two ladies who have seniority always take the only two the guy has. So I went across the railroad tracks to this little bookstore. I was roaming around there looking for something to read, and I saw Illuminations. You know, the cheap paperback of Illuminations by Rimbaud? I mean, every kid has it. Every kid has had it. You mean Rambod? Well, that's what she says. There's a there's that grainy picture of Rimbo in it, and I thought he it was he was so neat looking. Rimbo look, Rimbo looks so genius. Can we? I instantly say snatched it up. Rambo. I didn't even know what it was all about. I just thought Rimbo was a neat name. I probably called him Rimbod, and I thought he was so cool. So that's like, I don't know. We're kindred spirits. What's well, a good aside? Patty and I we like to mispronounce things. Fill the little space. Thank you for that. But to get back to this whole art. Drug, rock, intersect. Oh, right, right. You're saying it all comes out of the art movement. Uh, this is Steve Harris. I said, the important thing is that the com- this is they're trying to sign, uh, I'm guessing the Dolls. Yeah. I'm guessing we're talking about the Dolls. Or maybe it's Iggy to some major label. The important thing is that the company understand that this is attitude over music, and it could sell if it was marketed properly. I read that. I'm like, okay, there's that point. But it's attitude over music. It's not even the music, man. No. It's coming out of that art world, that impulse to rebel. Well, that's the big thing with all this punk rock, right, is that it made people realize that anyone can do it. Because in the East Coast, West Coast battle, a lot of that West Coast stuff is like really (sighs) intense musicianship, you know? Snoop Dogg, Tupac. I'm thinking more like Grateful Dead and all that stuff. Like these are like super high caliber musicians, right? It's intimidating. Then on the East Coast, you got people who are more concerned with the attitude than the musicianship. And so it's this totally different vibe. And it opens doors because people are like, I can do that too. New York Dolls, they repeatedly talk about it in this book, like not really an amazingly no. an amazing band from a musical standpoint. They're just playing classic rock and roll. Although Johnny Thunders, I think, went on to blow a lot of minds with his guitar playing. There, there seem to be multiple occasions where some band member drops out and it's like the roadie steps in. Yeah. Like two hours later, like we're fine. <laughs> yeah. That's what's beautiful about it. Back to Patty. Patty. Patty wanted to look like <clears throat> Keith Richards. This is mm-hmm. Penny Arcade talking. There was a lot of um, uh, groupie. Uh, I think we had a lot of um, interviews with the leading sex toys of the punk rock movement in this section of the book. Yep. Penny Arcade. Uh, the big one. Those, there Sable were those sisters too. Sable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but that was not, a little rough. Not Patty Smith. Patty wanted to look like Keith Richards, smoke like Jean Moreau, mm-hmm. of course, walk like Bob Dylan, and write like Arthur Rimbaud. She had this incredible pantheon of icons that she was patterning, patterning herself on. Yeah, and I like. There's a point. In here, she makes a point somewhere in here about how she's not. We're not. I guess maybe men. people expected she was some sort of feminist, but we she stand was on like the shoulders of giants. More of a badass. Yeah, she does say she's not into. She has to, she, she writes all of her songs as if she's writing to a man, I think. Yeah. It's the only way she can do it. She likes dudes. Likes dudes. There's also some great, uh. Sable star. Just like really shows you what goes on behind the scene. You got like. They just sleep with everybody. Fucking Todd Rundgren. You got Todd. They sleep with everybody in the same band. 
Well, then you got Todd Rundgren and Bebe Buell. Bebe Buell. Bebe Buell. I mean, this long-lasting relationship, but they're just... That's open. They're fucking there's people. There's a ton of... Oh, there's David Bowie going around the country with his wife and his... She's like fucking the, his bodyguard. The bodyguard. He's like watching her... Yeah. Through the keyhole. Such degenerates. All of these people. Is that degenerate though? Or are we just too cloistered, Mark? I don't think I'd really... Unshackle. Really unshackle watching, thyself. Watching someone. No, I mean, that's not my thing. But if that's your thing, well, then make it your thing. Who gives a fuck? And then they sleep with everybody in the band. Yeah. I was with Iggy. Then I was with Ron. Then I was with the other Jazz Masters, brother. Jimmy Flash. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see what else I've got here. I think David Bowie's and this is Lee Childers. Mm-hmm. Photographer. Do you think that's how he was born? L E E E? I think there were uh, four E's actually, and he took it I think David room. Bowie's infatuation with Iggy had to do with Bowie wanting to tap into the rock and roll reality that Iggy lived. And that David Bowie could never live because nope. he was a wimpy little South London art student and Iggy was a Detroit trash bag. <laughs> Pretty much nails it. David Bowie knew he could never achieve the reality that Iggy was born into. So he thought he'd buy it. A lot going Shit on with for this. sale though, you know? David Bowie getting <clears throat> into America through the stooge, through Iggy. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, uh, David Bowie, I think, has this reputation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Has a reputation yeah. as being like this wildly original artistic force, which in some senses he is, and he certainly developed into something very special, but, you know, at first it was a lot of shame, or, you know, shameless kind of grabbing other people's mm. images. Look at this. Angela Bowie, his wife, talking about Iggy and Lou. This is great. I suppose Lou Reed was a little more sophisticated than Iggy, but whereas Lou didn't do the reading, Iggy did the reading. Mm. Iggy had school teachers for parents, and he mm. actually read, you know, Dostoevsky, all that kind of crap. Lou had that New York thing. He could make out like he'd read it even though he hadn't but he covered enough ground and it was superficial enough that you didn't get a headache by the end of the conversation with Iggy. If you ever did have a serious conversation with him, the whole idea he would point out was that you were ignorant and stupid and that he was smart as a whip and having been, and that having been said and established now he was going to use you any possible way he could either to eat, get drugs or cop a piece of ass. Which for predator, which for Lou can mean any sort of intellectual predator, odd behaviors. No, but that's Iggy who does that. Oh, Iggy was trying to cop a, She's saying Iggy was way smarter than Lou Reed and was way more mani- manipulative. Oh. Could really wield his intellect. I misread that. I thought he was just smarter. He is, but it says right here. And that Lou was more manipulative. With Iggy, if you ever did have a serious conversation with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. And then there's that funny story, too, because like when he <clears> first <throat> meets Bebe Buell, he's at that crazy Mercer Theater or whatever, that big complex where there's different things happening in different rooms. That Max's? No, no, no. It's this other thing. And it's where Mercer's the, where the dolls were. Yeah. But it, I think, I think Iggy was there to see the dolls, the Mercer arts center. And they he were was all like, going to see each other all the time. But seeing the dolls was a big deal when they first came out because they were like blowing everyone away. So Iggy goes to see him, but he's like so well, fucked up that he can barely keep himself standing. And then baby Buell kind of like takes care of him. Baby Buell. What do you call her? BB Buell? Probably. BB Buell. I like baby. Baby Buell. And baby is kids, but she's hanging out with him. And he's like practically blacked out, fucking stoned out of his mind. And like, oh, remembers that one line where she well, lived. Yeah. She, she's talking to him and he says, you're nice. Like, where do you live? And she says her address. And then she says the very next day he shows up like looking clean and fresh. He's just been for a swim. <laughs> and then Todd Rundgren, Todd Rundgren was like on his way out of town. And so, uh, that's when they had their little thing, their little tryst. Now these dolls <clears throat> of New York, like, 
They're a big deal, huh? They were, I don't think. I th- but is a lot of it just the shock value of they're basically cross-dressing? I think it's more than that. I Here. think they were just like aggressive and they played like really simple, catchy rock and roll. That's a big part of it too. That's the refrigerator. Calm yourself. Bob Gruen. The Hell's Angels were shocking, but I didn't feel threatened by knives and guns. I felt threatened by guys in makeup and dresses. Ooh, punk. Yeah. Anything can be punk. Yeah. Especially like, uh, this is where Iggy's trying to walk on the tables out in the audience at Max's. Just a little anecdote from Night Bob, a guy named Night Bob. It's because there was Day Bob, too. Yeah. I just liked Night Bob. I know. <laughs> yeah, he falls and gashes himself. Now, tell me what this was. Whoa. I'm running out of quotes here, but... Oh, this is Baby Be Well. So Iggy Liv became, Tyler's mother. As you were describing... Is it? Yeah. As you were des- describing. So Iggy became my boyfriend for two weeks, but I had a boyfriend, so he couldn't really be my official boyfriend. So he had an affair, as they say in the trades. Trade but Iggy was bummed out about Todd the whole time we dated. He didn't like the fact that I had a boyfriend I lived with, so he made me refill the water in the waterbed. Don't oh. ask me the significance of that. I'm sh- I think, I don't know. Am I reading into that to think that there's some illicit behavior? I don't think anything happened. I think somebody, he just felt like maybe it was a trespass against the Needed new water in the waterbed. Yeah, because okay. maybe they like, right. yeah, probably had some serious penis and vagina action on that thing. So, uh, oh, yeah, let's revisit. We've got our standard book club questions here. Oh, that's, it's, I hear them, yeah. It's, it's that time. time. Uh, so after reading the book, has the group, and anyone can answer, has the group's interest been uh, piqued about the subject matter? If so, would the group consider reading more on the topic in the future? I mean, once again. I would. My interest is piqued. How about you, Matt Damon? Yep, you're nodding. Um, so, yeah. Did the author provide any pertinent web links for the reader's use? He didn't. Still no web links. But actually, when I read the first section of the book, I didn't. Legs is not doing so good with the web links but inside I, the book. I didn't realize until I began on this section of the book that, there, that the cast of characters was in the back. That's an invaluable resource. You didn't know that was there? I'd forgotten about it when I was reading the first part. I was just looking oh. on my phone, and then I remembered it was there. Yeah, okay, okay. So, that, I mean, that takes the place of web links, is oh, my but that's, point. The question is web links. Uh, suggested reading list. I mean, again, this book Still. serves as a, suggestive, a suggested YouTube listening, oh, but watching a strict list. interpretation of the question would be no. But go find, go find that song, New York Dolls Trash. There's an amazing live recording of it. The sound quality's not great, but, man, you can get a load of them. Some hot fucking dudes. You can get a load of them. Get a load on them. Keep my distance. Did preconceived opinions of this person or topic change? Behave. This is this is more Mark's question here. Okay. After reading the book, so you know, in the first one, you were reacting, I think, mostly to kind of Iggy's depravity and Lou's prickishness. Mm. But in this one, well, this one. The, here's what I liked about this one: you're getting kind of the more intellectual side of things with Patty Smith and Jim Carroll. These are very notable, well-read poets. Patty came to life more and is a very interesting character, of course. Mm. Jim is still shadowy. Yes. You're not going to get to know Jim that well, I think. Well, no, there's some long tracks where he talks oh. about himself. More Jim? Okay. No, I mean, you read some of them if you read this section. I did, but yeah, I don't, maybe he doesn't have the, it's weird how some people, he's like the dolls, dude. like the dolls, man. Like you still know about Iggy, I guess, because he's alive. You still know about the Velvet Underground and Lou. You don't, I guess you, I don't hear Stooges. I don't hear MC5. You still hear the Stooges, um, and you, you don't definitely hear MC5. You, you hear that song "Search and Destroy" a lot. I don't hear the Jim Carroll band. That song I played you is pretty popular. All right, maybe it's just me. That, I think that was like that's the only one you're liable to ever hear, like on 
midnight well, radio. When I'm at the club and I order an Arnold Palmer. Okay. What I'm hearing is the not the club or the clubhouse. <laughs> Uh, club. <clears throat> so when I'm see. at the Williams alum clubhouse, I think so. A lot of Bowie in this, a lot of like well, well, Bowie from afar, they, you know, he's never all, actually an interview. And maybe that's why this is such a great narrative is because it really is sort of this moment in time where all these people are connected. Mm-hmm. They know each other. They go see each other. They get inspired by each other. They rip each other off. They sleep with each other's people all the time. Well, I was thinking too, how crazy would it be to like, They're you know, all, you get interviewed by this, by this duo. You're, you're on tape talking for hours and hours. And then this book comes out. How exciting would it be to like, oh, I want to read what I, you know, I re- want to read what I said, but I also like, what did everyone else say about me? And like sometimes, most of the time it's good. If you're Lou Reed, is your heart broken? You're like, I'm not a dick. Oh He's wait, dead. but yeah. Oh no, I did say, well, I mean, oh. this book has been out a while. He might've read it. Like, oh yeah, I guess I did. Occasionally Ask that there, person occasionally to shit in my mouth, but is that really an affront? I don't know. There are, you, as a, as two journalists and former booksellers. Yes. We're steeped in the writer's word. We, we, we can send it. We, we feel those moments when, you know, when legs or and or Jillian is like, oh, let's quote him saying that. And then let's quote her saying that. And that's a one, two punch. Yeah. I'm sure their eyes lit up because he's going to look like a fucking idiot. But the other thing too is I think that. you, I, you get pissed when I bring up Mark Marin. but if you listen to his <laughs> interview, not his podcast, I don't give a shit. It's an invaluable like it accompanies this so well. If you listen to his That's interview like with Iggy going out on stage and saying, no, talking not. about Lou Reed the whole time instead no. of throwing up on the front row. I'm saying if you listen to the legs and Jillian talk, I think a lot of these interviews were, it's not like they were all done in a week, you know, it was spaced out over years and years. Mm. So a lot of those one, two punches you're talking about probably came together in the editing room. Like every good piece of art. Yep. The editing room is your friend. Let's, hey. take, let's take this one to the editing room. What do you say? Ding. Ah. Uh, Go ahead and grab another glass of Zin, though. Some grass, some Zin. Book Buddies is a Natch production. Your hosts are Josh Tyson and Mark Brush. Josh, formerly of B. Dalton Bookseller, holds a B.A. in English from Metropolitan State University of Denver and is the author of Sweet Nothings. Mark, formerly of Tattered Cover Bookstore, holds a B.A. in English from Williams College and is the author of The Kepler Track. Check out their other shows wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Natch for food news eventually. And in the face for insider NFL action. Theme music by Anna Deloy Williams, class of 18. On the next Book Buddies. So, Mark, yeah. uh, do you know what a Cleveland steamer is? like a dirty Sanchez? No, it's sort of similar to what Lou Reed's talking about. You like put some saran wrap over your mouth and then someone shits into it. Mm-hmm.